This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to Owning It the Anxiety Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Foran. If you are loving this series, and I hope that you are, do me a massive favor and hop on over to my Substack and click subscribe. Over there, I will be writing lots more in-depth content with a huge focus on anxiety, of course, as well as my parenting experience and some career stuff too. You can find me there at carolineforn.substack.com forward slash subscribe. This week's episode, let me tell you, it is, it's just so wonderful. Had I been able to listen to this story when I was in my teenage years or in my early 20s, I know it would have made a massive difference in helping me feel less alone and more confident about the challenges I was facing and that so many of us face. Matilda Eindhoff, you may know her on Instagram as Crazy Head Comics, is my wonderful guest. She shares her story of growing up with ADHD, bipolar, anxiety and depression, and after a string of traumatic experiences that nobody should ever have to endure, let alone endure within one year at the age of 17, she became ill with PTSD. It's hard to listen to at points for sure, but believe me when I say Matilda is so incredibly inspiring so strong she can teach us a lot about owning our challenges and becoming secure in our insecurities and she is so wise and she says herself now that she is just living her best life in spite of everything she's been through and in spite of everything that she still carries with her she's channeled all of her struggles into the hugely popular crazy head comics account which you have to follow and it has over half a million followers and her new brilliant book the art of feeling better which is out now I hope you find this episode as helpful and encouraging as I did. Thanks for listening. It's such a pleasure to have you. Um, You are one inspiring lady. First of all, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just so thrilled to have you. And congratulations on 
what looks to be such a beautiful book that is going to make such a huge difference for people. Um, how does it feel to have your book out in the world? It feels like unreal in a way, even though it's been out for a while now. Um, it was such a long process of writing it and illustrating it. So once it was released into the wild and like people were actually seeing it and receiving it, it was really, really like nice and felt super rewarding, but a little scary, of course, too. But I had really nice response. So uh, I'm not as nervous anymore as I was one on release day, you know? Yeah, of course. No, it's a big deal. And you kind of have to protect yourself in that world when you put something out to the world and you're talking about things that are so personal and, you know, put you in a vulnerable position. You need to, I I, I have felt that you need to kind of go into it with a with a mindset of like, you still need to take care of yourself the same way you always would. And, you know, maybe you're opening yourself up to even more people now. So it's it's a tricky balance when what you're sharing is you and your life. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I share some very like personal things about mental health too. Like it goes, things you maybe wouldn't share with like a family member or a friend if you're not like super comfortable. So it's definitely some like really personal things. And sometimes, I mean, I find it easier sometimes to share things with people that I don't know, like especially the internet than I would maybe sitting down with my dad. Oh yeah, of course, like for sure. And I had the same thing when I started my Instagram. I was supposed to be anonymous, but then Instagram suggests accounts to you based on who you already follow. So then everybody found out about it at the end. But I was hoping that I could only have like strangers reading it at oh, first. Oh, I get you. No way. Your story, for anyone who isn't familiar, you have experienced you know, a huge amount of mental health challenges, um, anxiety, depression, bipolar, ADHD. That's a lot for one person. And your experience of all of these things have, I guess, one of your your ways of coping was to, um, to draw and to illustrate and to start sharing your uh, illustrations that kind of depict your experience and people started to respond massively and feel seen and heard. And that's, I guess, the beginning of you becoming um who you are today but to go back to I guess to go back in time like which one of those issues or illnesses was the first to present itself like was it did you start were you suffering with anxiety before you ever knew that you were bipolar or had ADHD like just I guess just fill me in on the backstory so I was always really anxious as a child and I just didn't think much of it because I, when you're younger, you think that everybody has the same experience in their head as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became clearer and clearer when I started, you know, you get to that age in like middle school or whatever, where you start comparing yourself to other people in like every type of way. And I was like, I don't think other people, most other people are as anxious as me. Mm. Um and that there was something like maybe like pathological about my anxiety that was like something more than just being nervous and like that regular anxiety. Oh, I've been like really anxious since I was like a young child. Okay, um, yeah. So I can't even like really remember when it started, mm-hmm. the anxiety. So yeah. Just and then that was always there for you. Yeah, always, always, as long as I can remember. Um, yeah, and then of course, like my ADHD and my, I have dyscalculia too, which is a learning disability. There's kind of like dyslexia, but with numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that I had uh, any like neurodivergency at all until like I was almost finishing uh, Swedish school is set up a little different than in the UK or US, but I was finishing Grundskolan, which is like your seven to 
like 15. And um, I wish I would have known then that I had ADHD and uh, dyscalculia, but that came later. So it was really hard to grab, grapple with that mm. as a child to not know that something was wrong and just thinking it was you who just wasn't trying enough or was not smart enough. Um, yeah. And then, so at what age were you when you started to recognize signs of bipolar? It was really young for me. Um, and I went to a psychiatrist when I was like 13, 14. And uh, we were talking about, because I was really like sad and seemed depressed. And my mom was worried about me. So she brought me to a psychiatrist. And uh, we were talking about depression and stuff. And she was like, oh, are you always sad? And I was like, yeah, I'm mostly sad. But, you know, sometimes I can be happy and I can be really, really happy. So it really goes like up and down a lot. And um, yeah, so that gave some warning bells in her head and uh, we talked more about it and we did a bunch of assessments and stuff and then I got sent to a bipolar and psychosis clinic um, mm. and I was there for several years because you usually when you're bipolar you your symptoms start when you're maybe like in your early to late 20s mm-hmm. um, so I was really early um, so they really wanted to keep track of me to make sure that it was the right diagnosis and stuff um, but so a couple of years after I got to that new unit, I got my bipolar type 2 diagnosis. And what's type 2? Um, type 2 means that you have hypomania. So it's kind of the lesser form. When you have type 1, you have mania, which has its more severe uh, upstage. And then you have um, you can have psychotic symptoms. So I don't naturally have psychosis and uh, my hypomania is a little less uh, dangerous than a mania is. So it's just how to classify like the severity of the different types of bipolar disorder. I understand. And I mean, to my mind, getting a diagnosis like that or realizing you have ADHD or um, dyscalculia, is it? Mm -hmm. Dyscalculia. Dyscalculia. Yeah. They would be huge just I guess knowing that would would make me very anxious as a young person to say oh my god I have to live with this I have to deal with this was it was that anxiety inducing for you or was it almost like okay actually this all makes sense now it was definitely a little bit of both but at the beginning um with the bipolar disorder it was like oh my god I can't believe that this is going to be in my life it felt like a death sentence or like because when you look at um, like the suicide rate of people with bipolar disorder is very high and it's an incurable illness that you have to live with for the rest of your life but it is luckily treatable um, as I've learned but I, in the beginning I was very very worried and I got a whole team with doctors and nurses and stuff and it was like really intense and uh, a huge shift in like who, who I was in my life and who I saw myself um, but the ADHD and the Dyscalculia was much more like, oh, thank God I know now that it's not me who's the problem, mm. you know. And were you, you were made to feel like you were the problem, I guess, was it was it teachers? Was it just by comparing yourself to other people, you thought it was like just that you weren't trying hard enough? Yeah, it was adults who had a hard time with my feelings um, and I was always very sensitive and that was like kind of the label that was put on me from a really young age like oh Matilda is so sensitive she needs thicker skin and like I think people 
didn't know what to do with me when I had my emotions and now I know that ADHD just you struggle with like your emotional regulation um, but back then I think a lot of people because they didn't see me as having ADHD that they just thought that I was like really sensitive and it made other people uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and then in school <clears throat> with the like ADHD and stuff like I had some things that I was really really good at and some things that I was really really bad at so since the teachers saw me being good at things they thought that the things I was bad at I just wasn't trying hard enough mm-hmm. um, so with maths and it was really hard because I just like dyscalculia goes super deep and it's I mix numbers up I can't remember numbers I don't really know left and right like I have troubles with like time perception and like reading an analog clock um yeah it's like there's so much that goes into it so for me it was like impossible to sit in a math class and like a lot of people who have dyscalculia can also talk about the math anxiety that you get from mm-hmm. having to be exposed to something that you don't understand that you're and it has such an attachment to like being smart when you think about being good at maths yeah so that was really unlocking my self-esteem when I was like I'm not good at these things and everybody thinks I'm not trying hard enough and that I'm just too sensitive and so there must be like something wrong with me and I mean I think I think from the conversations I've had, a lot of people who have ADHD seem to also experience a lot of anxiety. They seem to kind of go hand in hand. Um, how do you how do you define or describe ADHD? You mentioned there about dysregulation, and I suppose the, the the maybe misconception of ADHD is just someone who is hyper or can't focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's my sister had uh, has ADHD, but she was diagnosed when she was much younger because she has more of the boyish ADHD that you think of like the stereotypical you can't sit still you're always like up and go and that was more her experience so when my therapist was like oh I think you have ADHD I was like no way I don't because I've I'm so different from my sister and Mm. I don't have those problems that she has like she is always stressing everywhere like she's always lit um, and I'm always like super early and I'm like the oldest sister so I think I'm like have that like good girl thing really drilled it into me in a way um but for me my ADHD is more attentive um so I have a really hard time starting things I get like task paralysis before I do things so if I'm starting something or like transitioning from doing one thing to another it can take so long and be like the feeling of like if someone asks you to put your hand on a hot stove and you're like I'm not gonna do that because I, I like I can't if you ask me that like I can't physically do that because I know what's going to happen like my body won't let me that is kind of the same thing about like starting to do something um, Mm. unless you are really really interested in it it's just like really hard to do and then for me it's also really hard when I'm talking to other people to like listen (laughs) and uh, I think what happens in my brain is that if someone says something and it inspires a thought in me then my brain will go into thinking about my own things and then I'll just see their mouth moving up and down as they're talking but like I haven't registered anything that they've said because yeah. it's so easy for me to like just get lost in my own head. I mean you talk about the the task paralysis there um was that an issue for you when you were presented with the opportunity to write this book to put this book together or was that easier because like you say you were so interested in what you were doing? Oh yeah this is the easiest job I've ever had um so I had I was just writing and writing 
and the drawing and there was other things were hard about the book like um i think also another thing with Edith, like uh, rejection sensitivity mm-hmm. uh, i think we have a hard time with critique and stuff so it was really nerve-wracking when i was writing my book to have other people read it and like correct and change and uh, offer suggestions and stuff like i think that was hard but i got the their job is to give like critique so they are really good at doing it in a way that isn't like upsetting to me but it is that was more the hard part of just having people read it and have like opinions about it but actually doing it was amazing because psychology has been like a hyper fixation for me for a long time and I suppose so your interest in psychology then that's just sort of self-taught to help you cope better with everything you've been dealing with is it yes and I don't think it was to cope at first I think it was more like because some people are more interested in like things and they want to talk about like things that have happened and like if you're talking about an event with them like they want to talk about the facts of the event whereas for me I'm super interested in like people and the inner workings of other people's minds Mm -hmm. and I think psychology just goes hand in hand with that so I was always like really interested in just knowing things about people and like really like getting to know people deeply and knowing like their deepest darkest thoughts and stuff um so that's always been like really something I've enjoyed yeah and then I mean it it could only have helped you massively to then learn and understand more about what you were experiencing and and then be able to translate that into something that can help other people because I think particularly the style of what you do lends itself so well to mental health because when you're overwhelmed I mean and, and I don't I don't think I have ADHD and I don't have bipolar. Anxiety has been what I've suffered with. But if you find yourself overwhelmed, sometimes reading something really heavy can just overwhelm you more. So seeing a seeing a visual um, interpretation of what you're going through can just make meaning so much quicker. Um, it's really powerful. Has that always has that always been a source of um, comfort for you to be able to articulate what you're feeling through art? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for the nice words. It really means a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. but art has always been, because I've been like an artist since I was a baby and art has always been the thing that I come back to, like the hobby that lasts a lifetime. Maybe my first love is art. I don't know. But um, I've always been processing by writing and um, drawing and painting and stuff. And I don't think at first I even realized that I was processing when I was doing it or that something was happening in my subconscious that was making me feel better. But definitely when I sit down with a paper and a pen and I draw something or I write something, everything else will make so much more sense afterwards. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm feeling until I've had a way to express it through art in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has always been something that I've been doing to help me like cope and it's quite a, a solitary activity to sit down with your whether it's colors or crayons or, or or whether you're doing digitally like you're on your own doing it you're, you're allowing yourself your mind to wander then you go and you share that on social media and suddenly it takes off and now you have what like half a million people following you mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so it goes from being solitary to being something that has a, a massive audience and like there's if you took away all those other issues that you have been dealing with and learning to manage, just having that many people at the other end of what you do is a huge source of anxiety. How did it feel to 
start to share things at such a to such a large audience and it no longer be just for you yeah it's so weird and like now that you're saying it it makes my mind go like thinking because it's interesting because I've always my favorite activities and stuff have been solidary things to do but I hate being alone like it's so weird mm-hmm. um but yeah because I wasn't expecting anything when I started my account I was just hoping like maybe I'll make a friend or like I will just vent a bit and feel better afterwards um so when it started like people started more and more people started following and it was kind of like blowing up a little bit especially there like uh, a couple of years ago it was like a lot a lot of uh, engagement with other people it was really scary and for me who has such a hard time conceptualizing like numbers of people just seeing that number and thinking like those are actual real people it's like horrifying (laughs) it's so scary to think about because it's so hard to conceptualize um and I'm really scared. Like this subject of mental health is so sensitive and everybody has such unique experiences regarding it, even though at the same time, I think you can always find someone who can relate to you, whatever you're going through. But yeah, it's you can really step on some toes and sometimes feels like you kind of have to walk on eggshells. And I think the climate that like of mental health and communication have really changed the last couple of years too. Um, and I, for me, it was always very important to kind of be a little jokey sometimes and keep it light. And like, I have not a super dark sense of humor, but like I can like engage in like an edger joke or whatever. And um, so that's if someone's not like ready to laugh or feel like not in a good place. And this is something that's kind of to them, like making fun of something it can step on some toes or whatever so I never want someone to come to my pitch and feel like they are not having like a place for them Mm -hmm. um so it's really hard because everybody is so different everybody's needs are so different that it's as a content creator it's hard to know like how to please everybody Uh, and at the end of the day you can't but as long as I like feel proud and like feel like I am um like using my responsibility as because it is a lot of responsibility too and I do a lot of research because I am not a real doctor and a lot of what I do is based on my lived experience and then some other is just my interest in psychology and I do a lot of research and try to really not say anything that's not right information um so it's a lot of work but it's it's like the best job I've ever had so it's It's amazing to find something that just suits you so well that it doesn't aggravate what you're dealing with it actually so it's like to, to be able to make your work part of what keeps you well and feeling good is such an incredible place to get to so you should be super proud of yourself for that for finding that yeah thank you and so many people don't get that privilege which is so sad because and I didn't think I could do this before mm-hmm. um and then I decided I needed to start doing that but also I had like a really supportive family who were always telling me that it was okay if I wanted to like be an artist which I know not everybody's parents want their child to be an artist um and not everybody has that opportunity and stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm making it work (laughs) I want to hone in on anxiety in particular as that's kind of the focus for this series um you mentioned it kind of always being there as a feature of your life how how does anxiety look for you how does it feel how does it manifest for you? Um, and what has been your biggest learning about anxiety? As I've 
grown and changed my anxiety has too um and i have had a really like long journey with my anxiety and it has changed a lot and i've had a lot of different anxiety diagnoses like i have generalized anxiety disorder and i think i'm hoping that's not for life but i'm suspecting that it might be because it feels like it's always been there um and that my body just reacts to things really strong and i think because anxiety is the warning signal that something is wrong or that there's danger and i think mine is just a little off like a little hypersensitive um just biology wise um but i used to have social anxiety i had panic disorder for a couple of years so i had a lot of different anxiety diagnoses at the same time and that was like the worst <laughs> ever and life felt so small because when you're avoiding things that make you anxious all the time there's nowhere you can go at the end of it because then everything makes you anxious and like you've avoiding so many things that everything just feels scary all the time so i definitely had a time where it was i was just consumed by anxiety and all i i couldn't even tell where i started and the anxiety stopped because it was just morphed um i know yeah, i know but- exactly what that feels like that like that was kind of that intensity was um, was my experience when I was in my mid twenties that kind of brought me to do to do this, um, and that fear is, um, it's something else. It's really, it can bring like a, la- a layer of depression in on top of the anxiety of this feeling of like hopelessness of like, oh my god, like am I always going to be this way? Like I can't, I don't want to live this way. This is so, like you say, you don't know where you be- you end and anxiety begins. Yeah, and it can go so like deep with like your physical symptoms in your body. Like I used to have all these pins and aches in my joints and muscles, and I'd be like, "Where's this coming from?" And I would wake up, and my neck would be stiff, and my whole face would hurt, and I would be like, "What's happening to me?" And like so many problems with my body mm-hmm. that were all anxiety at the end of the day, which was so weird that it can really like sit in your body and- like that. Oh no, it's such it's such a physical thing. Has it changed for you then these days? Like the age you are now, is it does it look a little bit different? Oh yeah, it looks a lot different because I um did a bunch of cognitive behavioral therapy and got rid of my social anxiety and my panic disorder. So I can't actually say the last time I had a panic attack. And okay. if I do have a panic attack, it's not as severe as it used to be, where like my feet and face and hands would like go numb and I would like my vision would be blurred and like I felt like I was having a heart attack or I was dying or I was losing my mind. Like now I can understand that something is anxiety and that like me and breathing exercises are best friends. Um, And I think that's what changed a lot for me. And um, when I got over my own stubbornness of like looking, not being like being afraid to look stupid and actually started like implementing breathing exercises, it helped so much with my anxiety and uh, my social anxiety is like gone completely and I used to think I was an introvert because I was so socially anxious and then when I stopped being socially anxious I realized that I am a huge extrovert and I love like going up and talking to people who are strangers and like I don't have any problem with small talk or meeting new people or that's so interesting what what made the difference for you with social anxiety because people I mean I don't know anyone who doesn't experience it to some extent what what changed in your mind that made that not scary um 
I guess just because when I I was never shy, even when I was little, if because I liked being by myself and I had like I could play by myself and that was fine. Um, and I was never shy, and I liked talking to people. But then when I started uh, high school and I started a new school, it was just I think the change and the transformation was so big to me that it developed my social anxiety. Um, and it was really like sad and it felt super like I was the only person in the world because I was too scared to like talk to other people but I think people like I am the person who's like like uh, people always come up and talk to me and like people are drawn to me and it's been that way my entire life like I have so many stories about like all these different types of people who come up and like tell me crazy things and like just trust me in like a weird way and um, so I just started leading into that and being like I think I'm I'm a people person and uh, once you start talking to people, you realize kind of how easy it is. Uh, and so now I just love like going up and talking to people and just see what's happening. And I think like I got a dog and I was used to walk my dog and uh, he like goes up to other dogs and says hi. And it's so natural for them to do that. And I think it's so weird that like we stand with our dogs and our dogs are like talking to each other and like saying hi and we're like so scared of each other like something there's something so weird about that and the more I think about it like when I'm outside walking like it's weird to not say hi when you like go past someone because we're like all people and stuff and I think especially in Sweden like our culture is we're scared of strangers we are super introverted we hate talking to strangers we just want to like go home and like be alone Mm. um but that's like not fun. And I think we, especially in Sweden, like we need to shift that culture to like talk to other people because there's so much you can learn and like you can brighten people's day. And like, I think people are always happy once you start talking to them. Um, yeah, so I think it's just like the, it's kind of like power in a way to be able to just talk to people. And there was something that I really missed when I didn't well, have it. Well done again for being able to just own that and and make that work for you like you've you've come such a long way then to be able and you did all that you know on your own back to be able to like understand that and realize actually look I'm I actually am an extrovert like that's that's the kind of life work that people never get around to um so again you should be you should be super proud and it's it's really really inspiring to hear you mentioned there um about the biology of like anxiety and, and depression and just, you know, maybe your alarm system in your body is just designed to be a little bit more hyper or overly concerned than it needs to be. Um, and I've always described my anxiety as like an overbearing parent that's just kind of working too oh, hard yeah. to protect you and really, you you know, you are actually safe and it's it, it's okay, you can relax now. Um but because you mentioned the biology of it, I, I'm just curious, do you do you kind of um, rationalize your experience of, of these things as biological, something that is just the your wiring, it's your makeup, it's the way you were made? Or do you feel like there was life experiences like nature or nurture? Like, was there something growing up that, I mean, I know for me, there was certainly experiences that helped or not helped, uh, led me to become a more anxious person. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think biology, once you really think about it, for because some people have clinical depression or like clinical anxiety where it's it can be amazing in your life and you are still anxious and you can't control it. But I do think that most people's 
mental health problems are situational and are dependent on the world we live in um, and just how fast paced and how much uh, pressure it is in all sorts of ways to just uh, be like prove yourself and work hard or this and that um, but oh my god I forgot the question <laughs> it was just whether do you is it important to you or is it necessary to you to go back and understand if there is a root in your oh, life yeah. to the anxiety yeah um no but I think something that I've thought a lot about as I've gotten older and like uh, with my neurodivergency is that it it's it was traumatic growing up being neurodivergent and like not knowing it first of all and just like the just being neurodivergent um in this world who like in a world that is so like harsh and fast and um not kind to people who are different um so I think that I was like labeled as different from when I was very young and that made me anxious because I felt like people were always perceiving me and judging me and I think that had a lot to do like with my social anxiety later on too that like the feeling of other people like not understanding and like the fear of being misunderstood Mm -hmm. really played a huge factor into my anxiety I think. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So anxiety and depression, um, they often are experienced by people um, together or one after the other. Um, it, just to give you my my background, um, when I was really anxious, I, I was diagnosed as depressed and I wasn't someone who suffered with depression, but because my anxiety was so bad, I became depressed as a result of it. Um, so as someone who experiences, you know, bouts of anxiety and depression, how do they differ for you? And what is it like to experience both? Because they're they're quite different. Yeah, they are super different. Um, depression to me is a lack of motivation, like, and a lack of meaning and hope, I think, and just feeling like I don't want to do anything and I don't even care. And even if I know something's going to make me feel better, it's kind of like, what's the point of feeling better? Um, everything just becomes meaningless. It's like the world is in black and white um, and just feeling like you're tired, you just want to sleep, you feel sad. Um, Whereas anxiety is more like a charge of energy 
but mm. like a bad type of energy that makes you think that something is wrong and that you're in danger and like the feeling of impending doom comes to mind with anxiety and I think just there's so much going on in your brain whereas I feel like when you're depressed it's like kind of still and kind of gooey in there but when you're anxious it's like your mind is going a million miles a second being like oh my god is this gonna happen is that gonna happen what's gonna happen nothing's gonna work out like you're there's a barrage of thoughts that are just scary it's so you've just you've described it so perfectly there the idea of your brain being like goo gooey is um such a powerful visual and for you would you experience more anxiety or more depression? More anxiety. Uh, I think I used to have a time where it was more depression. And uh, it's it's uh, funny to talk about depression when you have bipolar depression because it's so different from the people I know. Like all my <laughs> friends have had depression and most people I know have probably had like depression at some point. But um, it's different when you're bipolar because then you kind of know that the episodes are coming and going um or at least for me like I can at least take comfort in the fact that like okay I know this is like a episode or like a period that's gonna come and go but my anxiety is like that thing is there with me through it all Mm, yeah that's something I guess the bipolar almost Though it sounds like those episodes are just happen to you, whereas the anxiety is there all the time. You can learn to manage that as best you can. And it sounds like you're doing an incredible job of doing that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying. If <laughs> but you it feel, is hard. Yeah, no, it's really hard and it's constant work. Um, if you feel comfortable, can you tell me about maybe the lowest point that you reached? Oh my God. I was 17 and I had the worst year of my life. It was awful it was absolutely awful and I think um because I had PTSD I don't think I have anymore I haven't been like uh it's been a while since I went to therapist but I don't think I have it anymore um because I don't have nearly as many symptoms and I can have like triggers sometimes um but I think most this I am just like living my best life and not too worried about it but when I was 17 I just had the worst luck ever and I I went through a bunch of traumatic things. So I was uh, sexually assaulted when I was 17 uh, for my first time, just sexual assault. And then a couple of months after that, I went to America and I saw a man die in a really like graphic and uh, brutal car accident. And I saw the aftermath of that. And I've never really like thought about death in that way or like seeing someone die. And that was like super duper scary. And then I was prescribed um, anti- uh, depressive medication and that triggered like a medically induced psychosis so then I went psychotic and I tried to take my own life because I was like I didn't even and it wasn't even like I, I was actually like suicidal it was more like I was so psychotic that I didn't know like what I was doing mm. so it was like wham wham wham, wham. <laughs> like all these things happened at the same time and it was like so that was definitely like the worst part of my life and it almost is hard to talk about now in a way because like it's been so long that it's so far behind because now I'm 25 so (laughs) yeah so now it's like I can't almost like not even conceptualize it being me who was there you know know. so so long ago now but I remember when it happened like it was 
yeah, it was really, really hard. But it's I've come such a long way now that it's like it's not something that I feel like an emotional charge whenever yeah. I like talk about it anymore, which is really like cool how the mind works and how you can like forget pain you know that is just more than anyone should ever have to be subjected to in their lifetime um let alone have it all happen in the space of a year or happen at all it's um really horrific and it's i i'm just i'm astounded listening to you at your very apparent resilience and you might not always have felt that you've been a resilient person, but oh my God, you really are. Um, you mentioned PTSD there. I think that's a, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. You know, oh, I have PTSD because of this bad thing, like bad day that I had in work or whatever. Um, how how do you, what is PTSD really like? And, and what what are the symptoms of PTSD in your experience? And, and how did you, do you think it was just a case of like, just more time and distance away from those traumatic events that helped it? I guess dissolve a little bit in your mind. Um, so, because I also was like, oh, I don't, I did, I didn't even think about the fact that it was PTSD, and I didn't have any like indications of it being that, according to me. And uh, when I finally opened up to a therapist, I think it was years later because I was, and especially like the sexual assault thing is like that was something that I never thought that I would ever like tell to anyone ever. And uh, mm-hmm. when I told my therapist, we started talking about it. And then we stood, you know, talking about trauma. And then sometimes they sneakily start doing <laughs> the assessments on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she like sneakily started doing an assessment. And I didn't even think, I, I didn't even know I had PTSD. But then I read my, um, like my, they write little journals about you the doctor like the doctor's notes and uh, you can read those like in Sweden you can ask to get them and I was reading through mine and it just said I had PTSD and I was like oh my god like what but I it's clear that I did have but I just didn't think it was like severe enough to Mm. have PTSD because I always equated PTSD to being something like really 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 traumatic that would happen like to you where your life was in danger Mm. um but I mean, but, I guess everyone's idea of traumatic obviously differs, but what you described sounds pretty um, pretty unbearable. Yeah, and it was so weird that it was like you can minimize something in your own head so yeah. much that you're thinking like, like if you can compare traumas too. It's like, but yeah. I wasn't in a car accident. It was someone else. And I just like looked and like, how is that going to do this to me? Or like, how, why am I so scared now? But then also every time I'm in a car, I think I'm going to die, you know? And my hands and feet are going numb and I, like, my pulse is, like, starting going and I'm like, I'm never going to get my driver's license. I never want to be in a car again. Um, so it's really like, the, and like, small traumas are traumas too. And I think when I, like, realized that I had PTSD, I really started looking into my, like, childhood and my life and I found like this bunch of like small and little traumas that I had like forgotten about or didn't think it was like that serious but looking at it through like an adult's eyes you realize that like yeah that was like probably really traumatic for you and did that Um, help I mean to go back in time and to be able to contextualize or, or conceptualize like I suppose I've often been told with anxiety you know going back and saying oh well like this is the reason why it's happened can only get you so far 
because you're here, you're where you are right now. But do you think it almost gave you, did it help you be kinder to yourself a little bit to know, actually, maybe this is a lot for a human to go through? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think a lot of people kind of like uh, make it a meme of the like, oh, you go therapy and all they ask about is your childhood. And like, mm-hmm. oh, why are they talking about my childhood? That was so long ago. I want to talk about what's happening now. But yeah, like the things that happen to you in childhood really do shape you in such a way and like all throughout your teens and like before your brain is fully cooked or whatever, like those things fully cooked. Really, <laughs> those things really like live wounds and make you the type of person you are today. So if you want to like feel better now, you kind of have to like make peace or process the things that you haven't processed from before. I agree. You mentioned earlier that you're living your best life now and that's so wonderful to hear. <laughs> what what do you do to take care of yourself now? I mean, with all those individual things that you've got to manage, it's a lot for one person. What does self-care look like for you? What just give me an idea of the things that have made you get to this point of being able to say I'm living my best life. I think uh, like what happened to me is that I was like, I can't do anything anymore. I just have to heal. And I just dedicated my whole life to like, how can I heal? Um, And like, in what ways can I heal? And I think the first step is like, what do you need? Like I had to get to know myself Mm -hmm. and not in the way that like you get to, like it sounds weird, but like you actually like really like process and think about things and like go back in your life and you I journaled a bunch and I was just like opening up all these little wounds that I found when I was digging into myself um and I was really thinking about ways that I could like change my life for me and what I need and not what other people might tell me that I need or like what I think I should need or what I should want um and really like trying to remove yourself from all the like external voices of like what you're supposed to want and need and um just really focus on like yourself and like what you actually are like what works for you and I think you can really get creative with self-care um and of course self-care is like so many boring things goes into self-care like budgeting or like you know like washing your feet or like whatever like just boring everyday things and like those things and like the classic, you know, eat, sleep, move, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I have actually gotten like more interested in like food and like eating foods are like good for your body. And like I'm trying to like heal my gut and like doing all that stuff and like eating all this like seeds and nuts and fruits and stuff um, and actually having like an interest in like nutrition, like and eating to have more like serotonin and stuff has been really cool. Mm-hmm. So that's my new little hyperfixation. And um, for me with bipolar disorder, like my sleep is so important. And now that I've been able to work from home and be my own boss, I can have whatever weird sleep schedule I want and like get enough sleep, um, which has made a huge difference for me. And I think I've really started prioritizing fun and yeah. just trying to have as much fun as I can. Um, even though sometimes it might feel silly to be like, because you're an adult and you have like responsibilities and stuff. But I love fun and I love creative play. And I think you have to schedule some 
something to look forward to um to have like upcoming and um really try to find ways to minimize stress because stress is so detrimental to your health um so finding ways to stress less and say no to things that i don't want to do and uh, actually doing things to prevent stress um has been really helpful for me Mm-hmm. Something that was made a big difference for me was um, I think we live in a in a society that constantly tells us to like smash through our limitations and like just stop thinking we have any limitations. But actually, I do have limitations, and and having respect for those limitations keeps me well, you know. So yeah, I think that you can you could make it become something you, you can. It can sound negative, but actually, it's working with yourself instead of against yourself. Um, and if you're working against yourself, trying to live as if you're not someone who experiences these things or, you know, not let it hold you back, then you're kind of resisting what is. And um, so you kind of sometimes have to go with the flow of it. So I'm just wondering what limitations are you mindful of that actually help you? I mean, just just being aware of them and being like, OK, like you said about the sleep, like I know if I don't do that, like I won't feel good. Like what limitations guide you in a positive way? Um. I guess I'm just not like the most motivated person naturally. And I used to think that I had to have these like big goals in life that I had to do and like work towards something all the time. But then I feel like once I did work towards something and then I had it, I couldn't even enjoy it when I had it because then I was just already thinking about the next thing I need to do to like enjoy things. And I was thinking, how can I be like a good worker and this and that? And like, like, honestly, like, I don't care about being like a good worker or like having accomplishments or like doing things like that's not what interests me in life. Like what interests me in life is like I want to eat something good for dinner and I want to see my friends as often as I can. And I want to stress as little as possible. And I want to like be in the sun as much as I can and just enjoy those like natural moments of life and like human connection with other people. And like, I'm not focused so much on all that other things anymore wow I mean that's such an incredible um realization to have at such a young age I mean especially in your 20s when the messaging coming at you is to just be so goal driven and goal focused um and if you can swap that out for being motivated by the kind of life you want to have and the kind of days that you want to have um then you are you know you've kind of you've kind of figured it out um and I really fully believe that your vulnerability, you know, and my vulnerability and anyone's vulnerability, like having, if you were to, to write a list of all the things that you've had to face and how utterly terrifying it all would have seemed and, and how much you would have thought that that would impede you or hold you back or mean you can't, you know, get to where you are now or enjoy life because you've really harnessed it. And like, like you say, like you've smashed through the social anxiety because you're like, I want to go and talk to humans like why are we here if not to connect with other humans you know you are testament to the fact that your vulnerability can be your superpower and like that's my always my main kind of message um so just congratulations on on you know obviously the book is amazing um it's such an incredible accomplishment the art of feeling better but also beyond that um beyond that very measured measurable success that that outward success um, I think it's the internal work that you've done that is um, so, so in- the most inspiring and, and like really will make a difference to other people. Like you're already making such a huge difference to, to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and thank you for being so willing to be vulnerable and open and and normalizing it. And 
there's just going to be so many young teenage girls listening or coming up following you who are like you're giving them permission to be whether it's neurodivergent or just to be however they are and that's honestly such a beautiful thing thank you so much what kind of words I really really appreciate and it warms my heart And it was so fun to come on here today and talk a little bit about anxiety and things like that. And you're a wonderful interviewer. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, I was looking at some of your illustrations. I think there was some around the subject of dating with mental illness. And I do get asked this a lot. Um, And I have been married for almost five years. So I'm kind of out of the game of dating. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm 35 now, so I'm a little bit beyond you. Um, But would you have any advice for someone like how, when and how to communicate if you're dating someone or you're starting to date someone that maybe you're someone who has bipolar or maybe you're someone who has, you know, chronic panic attacks or suffers from depression? Um, I think that it's important to always be honest um and then also at the same time i think especially as like uh, young women or uh femme presenting people like you gotta care about your safety a lot when you're meeting new people unfortunately but so i don't think anybody should share something with someone like the first date if that's not comfortable if you don't get a good vibe but i think it is important um to talk about your mental health with people and i think that also uh, allows them to open up with you and to have just like a good conversation and I think um, if they don't like it because a lot of people might not want to date someone who has like a mental illness and then that is your like repellent for people you don't want to date to just say that right uh, out of the gate Um, Mm -hmm. and then it can weed out the people who aren't gonna be supportive to you if they don't vibe with that but I think most of the time um, people will share their own experiences with you too. Um, and I didn't think that I would find someone because I was like, no, nobody can deal with all of me. But I've been with my boyfriend now for like seven years. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's yeah. so lovely. We're high school sweethearts. <laughs> oh my God. That is so sweet. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that is such excellent advice. Um, thank you so much. You sound like you're so much wiser beyond your years. Um Thank you. It's all the therapy I've been in. (laughs) Best of luck with um, whatever is next. And the art of feeling better is out now. And I'll pop a link into the episode, uh, the show notes and a link to your Instagram page, which is just such a wonderful resource. Um, Thank you for everything, Matilda. and, And have a wonderful day. And I hope you've enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much, Caroline. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.